Many of you know, because you're here on a regular basis, we are in a series called Everyday Discipleship. And 1 Corinthians is our text. And right now, we're in a series within the series called The Spirit and the Church. So we're looking at the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the church. And the, the passages that we read this morning that, that Cheryl read to us are uh, not speaking specifically at, at this second about the gifts of the Spirit, but they are comments that Paul is making in that context. So the, the previous verses, Paul had been speaking about the manifestation or the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let's go back and remember in the church in Corinth, there were divisions and there were squabbles and, and they were over things like who was the best preacher? Who was the best leader? Who had the greater gifts? The, these are the kinds of things that were going on in the church. Some said, well, I think Paul's the best preacher. Others said, oh, no way, Apollos. He's, he is so articulate. He is so brilliant. Oh, he's way better than Paul. And others said, well, Peter is surely the best. I mean, come on, he's like, he was with Jesus. And then some even said, forget those guys. I'm for Jesus. So these are Christians in the church and they're dividing and squabbling over these kinds of things. So this divisive, competitive spirit was even showing up as they exercised the gifts of the Spirit in their congregational gathering. So it became like a competition. Who's got the better gift? Hey, my gift's better than yours. Well, that gift doesn't really, that, that doesn't do much. That's, that's not anything. So these are the kinds of things that Paul is addressing here. So he reminds them through the analogy of the human body that we who are Christ's body are all one. We as God's people, listen, you've heard me say this before. Let me remind you, we are all on the same team. You know, if you have a team and you have players on the field that are competing not against the opponent but against themselves, the team's not going to do too well. No, the, the important thing on the team is that everybody does the best in their position. If I'm on the team and I just suddenly decide, like, you know, I, I, I think I should be in a different position and I jump over and try to knock the guy out of his place and take it, that, that's gonna create a problem. We're on the same team, we're all part of the same family. We're all fighting the same battle against a common enemy, the devil. 
So instead of being envious and jealous of one another, we need to be thankful and supportive of each other. Now, there's something in our nature, and we know what it is, it's called sin, <laughs> that, that causes us to, to be envious and jealous instead of rejoicing when God blesses or uses somebody. I know, I, f- I find those temptations within my own nature. Something I've been actually disciplining myself to do is to intentionally thank God and pray for those, and this is my world, pray for those pastors and leaders who doctrinally differ from me. In other words, we don't see eye to eye on all of the same things. They doctrinally differ from me and they do ministry differently than I do. They have a different philosophy of ministry. I force myself when I want to be critical or cynical about a ministry to think of the ways that God is using them and to praise God for that. I seriously do, because I have those critical tendencies. And, you know, sometimes I will see a post on social media or something, and, you know, I'll, I'll see somebody, and I know kind of their doctrinal position on this, or I know how they do that. And, and, and in me, there's this, immediately, there's this negative sort of a thing that wants to rise up. And I, I literally just have to stop myself and say, okay, that's not the Spirit. That's not the Lord. God, I thank you for this, brother. I thank you for this, sister. Lord, you're using these people. You're using them in ways that I couldn't be used that way. And so we have to do this. We have to, to learn to appreciate the beauty and the breadth of the body of Christ. So... Not only, though, can we be tempted toward uh, a criticism and division when we look out at the larger body of Christ, we can also become envious and competitive among ourselves within our local congregation. And listen, this stuff happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know, there, there are churches where the pastor of the church cannot really have anyone else share the pulpit because they're threatened. What if that guy preaches better than I do? And what if people like him more than they like me? So I'm never going to share that space because that that's a threat. See, this is all wrong. This kind, this kind of thinking is wrong. And it can come in to a local congregation. Or we can look across and we can see that God is using somebody in a certain way. And he's not using us that way. And we become envious. And we think, oh, well, I, I want to be like that. Why do I have to have this gift? Why do they get to have that gift? Well, they don't deserve that gift. And then I feel like I should tell somebody. You know, that person over there, they do this. But you know what they're really like? See, this is the kind of stuff that undermines the work 
of the Spirit in our midst. So if we do that, we obviously need to be reminded of the nature of our relationship with Christ, with the Spirit, and with one another. And so in the verses that we read, Paul reminds us that though we are many different members, we are one body. We are one body. I love the way Cheryl read the passage this morning, you know. She personified the different parts of the body. But that's good because that, we need to understand it. That's what it's like. So let's look. We're going to make our way through these verses. Um, so let's look at them together. So in verses 12 through 14, look what Paul says. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Paul is reminding us that we've all been baptized. We've all been baptized. together brought into the body of Christ. And, and notice he says, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, these were dividing distinctions in the culture outside the church. Jews and Gentiles were divided. They did not associate with one another. Slave and free were divided. They did not associate with one another. That's what you were. But all of us now have been baptized together into one body. So those distinctions that exist out there no longer exist here to the point that they divide us. Now, we don't lose our identity. We don't become a, um, you know, we still might be Jews or we still might be Gentiles or we still might be male or we still might be female or slave or free or whatever the case is, that still might be our, our position in life, but it doesn't divide in the church like it did in the world. That's what Paul is reminding us of here. The old distinctions that brought division are gone. And then in verses 15 through 25, Paul focuses on the unity and harmony of the body of Christ, but he uses the human body by way of analogy. And so just as God put the human body together, so he has also put Christ's body, the church, together. That is simple. That's what Paul is wanting us to see here. And so verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, here it is. God has placed the parts of the body, the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. That's so important for us to realize. God has placed people in the body. Now, the placing in the body and the members that Paul is talking about, this is tied back to the giftings. And as we see at the end of the chapter where he goes on and he talks about apostles and prophets and teachers and so forth. So the context is the gift. So what he's saying is just as God has put together our, our human bodies and they're perfectly put together and they function when all of the, the members are working, they're all working together. So that's the way the body of Christ is. God has distributed the gifts based on his will and his sovereignty and his knowing of all things. Now, verses 22 through 24 are a bit difficult to comprehend. Just, just to, to get exactly what, what Paul is saying. So let, let me read them. I'll start in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Now, I've been reading the Bible a long time. I've been teaching the Bible a long time. These passages are still a little bit fuzzy. Okay, like now, what is Paul saying here? So I want us to just be able to get a clearer understanding. So first, let me quote to you from uh, a writer, theologian named Gordon Fee. He has a great commentary on 1 Corinthians. And, and this is what he says about these verses. And he's right. He says, Paul's point here is that some people of allegedly superior rank think they can get along without some others in the community. On the contrary, says Paul, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the more indispensable. In terms of the analogy, Paul almost certainly has in mind, and this is the question, what is Paul talking about? Well, he tells us, and I think he's right. Paul almost certainly has in mind the internal organs, which are full of weakness, but are indispensable to there being any bodily function at all. Crucial to his argument is the fact that they only seem to be weaker. Paul's point seems to be that such apparent weakness has no relationship to their real value and necessity of the body or necessity to the body. Appearances deceive, Paul is saying. If one removed an organ because it appeared weak, the body would cease to be whole. So with the church, all parts are necessary, no matter what one may think. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his 
message, which is not a translation of the scripture, but it's more of a paraphrase and interpretation of the scripture. Listen to what he says. I want to read that portion of scripture to you that we just read. I want to read it from the message. And I think that this will just bring it all home. He, he says concerning the, the, the body, no part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower, in quotation marks, the part, the lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's part of your own body, your concern with it, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or hidden, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion, digestion to full-bodied hair? <laughs> the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. So the unpresentable parts, he's talking about the internal organs, you know, the, the parts that we don't think about. We don't get up in the morning and have some sort of an internal evaluation of our organs before we get out to the day. We look in the mirror, we make sure our, my case, I'm shaved or, you know, my hair is, looks halfway normal. Uh, you know, we're concerned with the, those outward things. They, they get all the attention. But in comparison to my lungs and my heart and my liver and my kidneys and all of I mean, that stuff is actually way more important. Because if that stuff's not working, then eventually everything else isn't working. But we, we don't think about that. We rarely give time to that. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. We, we focus on certain gifted people. And it's good as long as we realize that that's just one gift and that gift is great for what it is, but there are many other gifts too that aren't necessarily as noticeable, but they're just as vital. A practical illustration of this can be taken from our experience here, I think, each Sunday morning. So it is a relatively small group that are visibly doing spiritual work. So think about it. I'm preaching. That's spiritual work. The worship team is, is leading, small group, uh, bringing people into an encounter with God, well, that's obviously spiritual. We have people available to pray and to cry out to the Lord on our behalf. But apart from that, doesn't seem like there's much else going on. 
but there are actually many less obvious or visible gifts at work all over this campus, bringing about this opportunity for all of us to be built up. Like I was saying about Colin earlier. Colin is, for the most part, he's behind the scenes. I mean, a few times we've forced him to come out and make announcements, just because <laughs> he does a great job. And so we're like, okay, get out there. You need to do this. But he would prefer to stay behind the scenes and exercise those gifts of administration and helps and hospitality, mercy, teaching. All of, all of those kinds of things are happening within the body, although much of it is un noticed because there are those obvious parts that we pay more attention to. But here's what we need to know. We're all the servants of Christ and we're put in our place by the Holy Spirit, not because we are better or worse than anyone, but because this is the way God has designed it. See, here's a, a fact that everyone needs to get. In the kingdom of Christ, there are no little people. There are no little people in the kingdom of Christ. In the kingdoms of the world, there are plenty of little people. Most of the world is little people. Then you have the elites. They rule over, you know, it's interesting in, as Paul is using the, the body as an analogy here, this is a very common um, analogy that was used in Paul's day in the ancient world. The Romans would use this, this kind of an analogy often, but they would use it to actually try to prove the exact opposite point of Paul's. They would say, look at the body. The body obviously has more important parts and less important parts. And all the beautiful people are obviously the most important parts. And all the proletariat, all the people down here, basically all the slaves, they're the dispensable ones. That's how the Romans would use the body. Paul takes the same analogy and says, oh no. That actually isn't how it works. The whole body is working together. And so look at verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So it's a, it's a simple illustration. It's a simple analogy, but it's, it's a good one, isn't it? Because it just causes us to stop and realize, oh, yeah, obviously. You know, if one part of my body suffers, my whole body suffers. If I break my toe, somehow it gives me a headache. <laughs> you know, it just, ah, it, it affects you entirely, Right? And likewise, when one part of the body is satisfied and healed or whatever the case is, oh my goodness, it, it affects the whole body. 
And so we are, we are one body with many members. And each member, just like each member of the body, has a function, a God-given function, a God-given task, mission, purpose to fulfill so that the body is all that it potentially can be. You know, I am convinced of this, honestly. I am convinced if the church could get healthy, the impact that we could have on the world would be so much greater. You know, when you have a healthy body, you can do stuff. You can do lots of stuff. But when you have a frail, sick, weak body, there's, there's not much you can do. And, and when the body of Christ is frail and weak and sick because of all these divisions and things, there's just, it's hard to gain any ground. It's hard to make any headway. But if, but if the church itself could just become healthy, and it can, it can become healthy if we just realize these things. And if we let the Spirit of God apply these truths to us, and if we uh, allow God to change our hearts and to convict us and to take the, the jealousy out of us and the envy out of us and the competitiveness out of us and, and just get the bigger picture of, man, we're all part of what God is doing in the world and we need to love each other. And that, that's part of what he's doing. So... In the final verses, we come to Paul talking about God's placement in the church, verses 27 through 30. And so now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church. So again, let's remember that. God has placed in the church. God calls people, and he gives people. He, pla he places people. And in the kind of church that we want to have, the kind of church that we read about in the scripture, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the people that God has raised up and gifted and placed. Now, Paul, having spoken of this equality among the members did not intend to negate order, structure, or authority within the church. So that, that's not what Paul is doing. The Bible is very clear about order, structure. Ephesians 4, talking about gifts, um, God gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry and, and so forth. So, so God has set up an order. But we need to make sure that we simultaneously recognize that God has set up an order and an authority structure, but we never abuse it or we never think that because God has set up a structure, it's based upon, um, well, I'm better than you or you're less than me. And that's why I'm this and you're that. You know, somebody said to me the other day, and I, many people have said this to me over the years. Um, 
this person was struggling and they said, you know, I really need prayer, but I, I know that I'm just so far from God. And I know that you're so close to God. So I want you to pray for me. And I said, well, I'm happy to pray for you. But I also just want to inform you that your perception is off. <laughs> I'm not so close to God. And you're so far from God because you're struggling with something and I'm not struggling with that. We're, it doesn't work that way. God's with you. He loves you. I have a gift and I use that gift. It's not because I'm better, not because I'm closer, just because what God does. And so we can't think that way. We need to stop thinking that way. But Paul goes on and he says that he is placed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So he's showing that there, you know, God has put things together orderly. But again, the point is not to abuse authority, but rather to use it for the glory of God and the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we looked last time at the, the different um, gifts and the manifestations. We looked at, you remember, um, word of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy and healing and those things. And some of them are repeated here. Other things are uh, included here that were not there. So we're, as we get to chapter 14, the, the gifts and all of that are going to come back up again. So I'm not going to go into any detail in describing uh, these gifts here, it's just, again, Paul is simply recognizing that although there is an equality, there is um, also order. There is a unity in diversity. That's a, a way to look at it as well. But what Paul says here, well, he goes on and then he asks, a series of rhetorical questions. Verse 29, are all apostles? The answer to every one of these questions is no. Not everyone's an apostle. Not everyone's a prophet. Not everyone's a teacher. Not everyone works miracles. Not everyone does healing. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone interprets. So just showing again that there's this diversity. God, God's given a diversity. But then he says this. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So that's what I want to close with. Desiring the gifts. Do we desire these gifts? Do we really want to know our place in the body of Christ? Or do we want to be content to just sit in the stands and spectate? Do we want to know our position on the team or do we want to just show up at the game and watch 
everyone else play? That's, that's a serious question. A lot of people that go to church, they go to church like they go to a football game or a basketball game or a concert. They go there to spectate. They go there to watch. They go there to listen. They go there to, to get, get some, most of the time, something for themselves, never thinking that they actually have something to give. Every one of you have something to give. Now, of course, we come to receive as well. But if we only come to receive, then we're just like the people coming to watch the game. But the biblical picture is that we are players in the game. We are members of the team. We have a position. And so, again, do we desire the gifts? Do we want to know, God, what is it that you have created me for? What is it that you've saved me for? What is it that you are calling me to? Do you know the gifts that God has given you? Or is that even maybe a foreign concept? Like, well, I've never really thought about it or I I don't know. Are you discovering your place in the body of Christ? Everybody has a place. Everybody has a gifting. Everybody has a calling. And look, unless you're here in this place that I'm talking about, your Christian life is going to be boring. It's going to be boring. There's not really much to it. Little church attendance here, maybe a Bible reading here or there, something like that, maybe tuning in and hearing a worship song occasionally. You know, what is the point of that? No, God is calling us to be fully engaged as members of the body. And so what does he say? He says eagerly, or earnestly, or passionately desire the gifts. Lord, what do you want to do with my life? That's a question that every one of us need to ask. Lord, what do you have for me? What did you create me for? What did you save me for? What, do you, what purpose do you have for me to fulfill? Lord, I want to know. Show me. That's earnestly desiring. That's passionately desiring. And as we think about the possibilities and as we consider the gifts that God makes available, Paul says, desire the greatest ones. What are the greatest ones? Well, the greatest ones are the ones that build up the body. So Paul's saying, desire those that build up the body. And maybe, maybe he's even addressing slightly the issue of tongues because there was a lot of excitement about tongues in the Corinthian church, um, but tongues predominantly built up the individual versus the other gifts that build up the body. So maybe he's addressing that slightly there. 
But then he's going to go on in verse 31 and say, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So he's got more to say about this. And, and the most excellent way is the 13th chapter, which is the great chapter on love. But we often fail to realize that this great chapter on love that is, that is many times quoted at a wedding or some other event, it is the context of it is the gifts of the spirit in the body of Christ. And we will dive deeply into that in a couple of weeks. But this is what I want to challenge you with today as your friend, as your pastor. Are you earnestly desiring the gifts? Are you saying, Lord, I want, and maybe, God, I, I want the gift of encouragement. God, I want the gift of mercy. God, I, I feel I've had this kind of administrative thing, but I want to use this. I want to use this for you, for your glory. You know, Jordan Taylor, Jordan is our executive pastor. You guys have heard Jordan preach and teach at times. Jordan's a great preacher. He's a great teacher. Taught, you know, pastored a church for 10 years in the Seattle area. And, um, but he had inside of him this like administrative thing. And as much as he loved the pastoral thing, he kind of couldn't escape this, like, I just feel like this administrative thing. And so as I was praying and seeking someone to come along and, and help in a very specific role, I reached out to him and it was God putting us together and bringing him with that administrative gift. He still teaches once in a while, but his passion is administrative. That's a gift that God's given to him. And oh, how thankful I am for that. But God has given to you a gift as well, whatever it might be. Earnestly desire whatever it is that God might have for you and recognize that the body without your participation is not fully functioning because you're part of the body. And if you're not doing your part, then the body isn't fully functioning. So get in and do your part. Ask the Lord what that is. When I came to this church in my late teens, early 20s, I didn't have the slightest idea what I was called or gifted to do. But, you know, I came earnestly desiring to do something, do something to serve the Lord. And he opened doors and he directed me and he put me in places and took me step by step. And finally it became clear, oh yeah, okay, this is what God's called me to do. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're in your 60s or older or in the middle of life somewhere, or if you're younger, there's always time to get plugged in and to get going with what God has. And so, Lord, we pray. I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that we would recognize this, this beautiful picture of the church as the body of Christ and us as individual members of that body.
And Lord, that we would earnestly seek to discover what it is that you have called us to be in the body of Christ. A hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, a liver, a kidney, whatever it is, Lord. Here we are. Speak to us, fill us. Lord, work among us today. Work in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.